1: the show and today my guest is Tina Swithin. Tina is the author of Divorcing a Narcissist, founder of One Mums Battle and the Family Court Awareness Month and the High Conflict Divorce Coach Certification Program. Tina continues to champion children's rights through her family court advocacy She is working to raise awareness of the issues in the family court system and to educate the general public on post-separation abuse and narcissistic abuse. Tina is remarried and resides in California with her husband and two daughters. So I am super excited to welcome Tina Swithin to the show. Welcome, Tina.
2: Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here and to connect with you and your audience.
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, I'm a huge fan of your work and I obviously know your stories. So I've been following you for a while, but I know some of my listeners won't.
2: So please do share your story with us. You know, I'm I'm the the person with rose-colored glasses. I see the best in people. I'm optimistic, sometimes to a fault, and got myself into a relationship with someone who I believed was a modern-day Prince Charming. You know, now looking back, I can see the courtship was love bombing. Um, back then, I thought it was this is what adult dating is like. I was a 26 year old young woman and I had, you know, dated a series of bad boy types. And so when I met this individual, I thought, wow, you know, this I have made it, you know, this is adult dating. And, uh, Fast forward through a very toxic marriage that was um, now looking back, you know, emotionally abusive, psychologically abusive, and it took me a long time to admit, but physical abuse, you know, we are, we grow up being, thinking of physical abuse as a black eye um, or a busted lip, but it can be someone blocking your entry into a a doorway or, um, you know, grabbing your arm and your wrist, you know? And so looking back pretty much every component of, of domestic violence. And I ended up going to a therapist, um, because by that point he had made me think that I was the problem. And that I needed to work on myself. And because he wouldn't go to marriage therapy with me, I thought, fine, I'll, I'm just going to go, um, figure out what, where my baggage is and, and sort through that. And it only took an hour and a half before the therapist got up, walked across the room, came back with a book and, and, you know, pointed with her finger, the section she wanted me to read and that was narcissistic personality disorder. And she said, I can't diagnose the person you're with. I'm not qualified to do that, but everything you are telling me fits this to a T. And I don't think that, you know, you obviously, we all bring our own stuff into the equation, but I think your overall issue here is the person you're married to. And, uh, you know, going back to that optimism, I was actually excited. I thought, thank God, if we have a label for this, we can fix it. So how do we fix it? (laughs) And uh, to the point that I even went home that night excited and told my husband that he was a narcissist (laughs) and that we could work on this and figure this out. Um, It was about... Yeah. Sorry, but so
1: the therapist didn't actually explain to you that going home and sharing that information with him would be probably detrimental to to your situation.
2: So she told me, I, I, I did not want to hear her. I was not ready to hear her at that point. And when I said, Great, what is this? How do we fix it? She said, There's no fixing this. You either learn to accept that this is your life. And, and nothing's going to change or you leave. And at the time, because I wasn't ready to hear that. And because my, my daughters were only two and four, you know, I, they were under two and four, you know, they were babies and the thought of having a broken family, a, you know, a divorce it just wasn't even on my list of options and and so no, I had back then this was two thousand eight there was nothing out there on the topic. no one was talking about it, and so I didn't have a reference point to to you know now we have so many amazing resources, yours so many others, and so people now can Google it and understand the reality of it. But back then, you know, I, I want to go back in time and hug myself because, you know, just poor you, you know, little sweetie, you know, so hopeful that, that this would change. But I remember when we, he would he was kind of, you know, caught off guard when I said this. And when we read together what it was online, I, I vividly remember him saying, this sounds just like my dad, but this isn't me. And, and in my mind, I was still hopeful. I thought, well, his dad and they're both the same person. (laughs) So if he recognizes his dad in this, we just got a step closer. And so, you know, um, It was about six months after that, um, be, you know, a whole nother therapist and together joint counseling before I realized we have a really big problem and it's not going to go away. And our marriage came to an end around that point.
1: And that can be really hard. I'm sure this is really resonating with a lot of my listeners that you know, at the time, maybe you're not ready to hear it, as you said. And there's reasons why it doesn't work to hear it as well. Like having your two young kids with you. I mean, that's going to be difficult. And facing life on your own and a broken home, as you call it. I mean, that all those things are going to put pressure on people not to address the issue. But eventually it's going to get to the point, like you said, where you realize that nothing is going to improve it. Nothing's going to change it. So how did you manage to get out of the relationship, Tina?
2: Well, that's, you know, the, the second therapist that we found ourselves with, my ex-husband it had insisted on a male therapist with a PhD. Oh,
1: well, that's very important.
3: <laughs>
2: very <laughs> important. Very important. Um, and it was it took that uh, psychologist saying to him, I want to refer you out for a psychological evaluation, because I don't think the problems that we're dealing with, that I'm qualified to help you with here. You know, I think there's a bigger issue. And that day, my ex husband called off our marriage and and accused me of manipulating the psychologist. And, you know, it was a threat to him that someone saw behind his mask, and that now I had seen behind the mask to that degree. And so he was actually the one that ended the relationship but i will tell you when he called me after the therapy appointment and said it's over and i had been holding on for 2 years completely emotionally checked out and it was the biggest relief of my life to hear those words because i you know i am somebody i will hang in till the very end um and, and so it took him actually calling it off, um, you know, then, then that next stage becomes the family court system. And, you know, as hard as it is to be married to a narcissistic individual, I had no idea the reality of divorcing one. And, and that's where, you know, my world truly turned upside down.
1: I mean, I totally get that bit. And I know a lot of my listeners will as well, because leaving is tough, leaving is hard. But I remember, and I know a lot of my clients have been told by other people, you know, well, once you're out of the abusive relationship, then, you know, you can get on with your life. You can move forward, you know, and they kind of assumed in a way that the abuse would stop. Now, you and I both know that's really not true. And I know you talk a lot about post-separation abuse. And in my experience... It doesn't just come from your ex then, because as you talked about there, the family court system, there are lots of other people that then can easily become the mouthpiece for that abuse. So what do you mean by post-separation abuse, Tina? And, And for people listening, can you explain a bit more about how that might work? Are you
3: struggling to cope with your breakup or divorce? Are you feeling devastated, heartbroken, sad and anxious? If so, please know that you are not alone and there is help available. Sarah Davison, best known as The Divorce Coach, and her team of accredited coaches are here to offer you the support and guidance you need to navigate all areas of your breakup, take back your control and start feeling happy again. Sarah will show you how to dial down those controlling negative emotions, unhook from your ex, Get back in the driving seat of your life and design a future you are excited to live. Sarah has a range of solutions to support any breakup, including free guides, one-to-one coaching, her Heartbreak to Happiness virtual retreats, live retreats, and you can even train to be a breakup and divorce coach with Sarah too. Visit www.sarahdavison.com today and start
2: to feel happy again. For people listening, can you explain a bit more about how that might work? Sure. When I, you know, using my own experience as a, you know, a descriptor, My ex was never involved in child rearing, in in parenting, Um, never, no part of it, unless there was a camera on or an audience present. And then he was a doting father. So in my, you know, because back then there was nothing written about this topic, I thought that our divorce would just be a continuum of what our marriage was like, that I would get the kids, that I would continue being their primary parent. What I didn't realize is that once you embark on the family court system, you know, what we know about um, domestic violence is that it's about power and control. And, and the naive part of me, uh, you know, thought that just mysteriously goes away, but it doesn't. It actually transfers into the family court system. And so that need for power and control when this person's ego has been bruised, because in my situation, he called off the relationship, but then he decided he wanted me back. And when I declined that invitation, it became World War III. And so that need for power and control actually intensified and moved into, you know, I, it's almost like the family court system becomes the platform for the abuse and the, the children become the weapons and the pawns because the abuser or the narcissist knows that that is the number one way to hurt you, um, that, that that's your jugular, you know, your children. And so that's, you know, that's the basis and the foundation of post-separation abuse.
1: Yeah. I mean, I see this all the time. And the the fact that the family courts, the way, I mean, I know you're in the States, you're in California and and I'm over here in the UK, but you know, I speak to lots of people and I've interviewed many people on on this podcast uh, from all over the world, including Australia. I mean, this is a worldwide issue. This isn't just specific to your system in the States or the UK system. This is a global serious issue um, and it's not spoken about in a lot of cases for example in the UK system we are not allowed to talk about ex- experiences ironically to protect the children because you know um, which yeah well let's not maybe get me started on that part but you know know, I know that over in the States it's a big deal but it but it is a global challenge isn't it? Yeah
2: you know, I refer to it as it's an international crisis um, if um, you know, I, I heard a quote recently from Danielle Pollack of the National Family Violence Law Center here in the United States. And she said, if the average person knew what was happening in the family court system, everyone in the world would be up in arms about this issue. Um, because you know, the, the courts tend to say, you know, in the best interest of children there is nothing happening in the family court system that's in the best interest of children it is it truly comes down to fairness to adults you know parental rights and and that that's having devastating effects on our children and you know these young Children starting to age out of the system and starting to speak out about what they've been through, that's where I find hope. You know, we, we need to start hearing from them about what the family court system has put them through. And, and by putting so much emphasis on a, a parent's rights, uh, you know, you're destroying little, you know, children's childhoods.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this is something that we see time and time again. I can't tell you how many clients I have right now who are navigating this journey. So for people that don't really understand what you mean about prioritizing parents' rights over children's rights, can you explain a little
2: bit about scenarios that are going on? You know, children, if I were going to to walk into the family court system in any country, you know, it becomes, let's divide the the retirement accounts. Let's divide the savings accounts, the property, and let's divide the children. You know, the children are truly treated like assets or property, no different. And, and, you know, I know here in the United States, it would take me longer to go to the animal shelter and adopt a puppy than it would to have a family court judge decide the fate and the future of my child. You know, we have a huge problem on our hands when a a judicial officer can make a decision on a child's life and schedule in 20 minutes and that's what's happening in court. Yeah,
1: exactly. And, And how do you see that relating to victims of abuse?
2: I think there is a a lack of education and a lack of training um, for family court professionals. Um, Most don't have any training in domestic violence, let alone post-separation abuse And the fact that their court system has now become a stage for the abuser, and the abuser is getting a high off of this, you know, this this theatrical performance that they're putting on, you know, it comes down to power, control, finances, Um, those are the motivating factors and the courts can't see that, you know, we need better training in recognizing domestic violence. And and, and that's where the courts are truly failing.
1: Yeah, I, I personally think it is shocking that it is not compulsory training for every professional, so-called professional that works in the family court industry. I mean, I, I just cannot believe that that isn't the case um, because in other professions, you know, you wouldn't get away with this kind of thing, would you?
2: No, and and you know, it's. Um, I think a, another huge part of the problem that ties into this is there's a victim blaming mentality in family court, uh, where judges are looking at survivors and saying, "But you married this person; that it's not our problem to fix." And even if they don't verbally say that. They're all thinking it. And so when that's what you're up against, and I remember in those moments, my judge actually said something like that to me. And I remember in that moment going, but I was fooled by him, just like you're being fooled by him right now. (laughs) You know, if you want to talk about victim blaming, you are currently the one with the target on your head and you're buying it. Yeah. And
1: I guess when that filters down to the children and the children have had their own experiences and have developed their own feelings, you know, those voices aren't being heard in the court system, are they?
2: no and in fact when our children you know we're infantilizing them we're not giving them a voice we're not and when they do find a voice we're not listening to their voice we're being dismissive of it you know the the number one thing that happens and you know here's the scenario i can use again my own story my children had zero bond with my ex-husband we had a nanny who lived with us they were more bonded with their nanny than they were their own biological father. And so when all of a sudden they're two and four years old and the courts are forcing this relationship on them with someone who's a virtual stranger and the times that they did have you know, interactions with him in our home, they were not positive. You know, he was walking around like a tyrant half the time and they were afraid of him. I remember being so jealous hearing other moms talk about when dad comes home, the kids run and jump in his arms and it's playtime and he does bedtime stories. and And I just thought, wow, that's never happened in my home. You know, he comes home and my kid runs and hides behind me. And so, when there is absolutely no bond to begin with, you can't force that bond. You know, that takes somebody authentically wanting to bond with a child and to a narcissist or an abuser, they're not capable of that. But then, what happens when there is no bond or when the children are rejecting the relationship with this person, the courts automatically blame the healthy parent for that. So the victim now becomes you know a the spotlight is on them as they are the problem and that's you know that's a huge issue happening in our family court system.
1: Yeah. I mean we see this all the time in the UK right now where if you're a victim of abuse then automatically you become an alienator if your child isn't happy to spend time with the parent. So you can't win. But then also, which I find very interesting and I hadn't realized about the system, is almost then the the burden of proof is on you as the victim to prove otherwise. Whereas in the criminal courts, it's not that way around. You know, you're innocent until proven guilty. Whereas, you know, in my experiences of, of working with so many people around the world, this just isn't the case. Is this what you're experiencing, Tina? That's it for today's episode. Do make sure to join me on my next episode for part two of my interview with Tina Swithin.
0: That's it for today's episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to win a free ticket to one of Sarah's virtual retreats.